everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is our president and CEO, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you? I'm good, thank you. We're going to be talking about uh, some drug and health economics today and whether or not Medicare should be covering every drug that is approved by the FDA. We're talking about two government agencies, and we're talking about um, an agency that pays for a lot of health care in this country. And this is based off of an opinion piece in Real Clear Policy by Howard Dean. And Howard Dean is the former Democratic governor of Vermont and the former chair of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, and he has obviously lobbied fairly hard uh, to remove some of these uh, administrative decisions that are in place at Medicare to barring certain drugs from being approved. And we've talked a little bit about this before, Ron, and I know you've shared your personal experience before, because this all surrounds right now a lot of these Alzheimer's drugs that have uh, come out in the last couple of years. Um, we talked before about one that was approved by the FDA and the and Medicare basically said, no, we're not going to cover it. And I guess we'll start up and back up a little bit there and talk about what the reasons were for Medicare not wanting to cover it. Well, the first thing you've got to understand is what FDA approval means. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of people, I think, put a whole lot more into the meaning of FDA approval than what probably should be. What the FDA approval is and what their job is, is to make sure that first of all, that a drug has an effectiveness to it, that it, it does what it's supposed to do. If it's supposed to lower your cholesterol, does it really lower your cholesterol? If it's supposed to slow down the advancement of Alzheimer's, does it really do that? In clinical trials, does it show some value? And I say some, because it doesn't mean it helps everybody and it doesn't mean that it helps everybody a lot. It just has to show some clinical value. And then the second hurdle is, does it either have very little or no harmful side effects, or is the value greater than the side effects? Does it offset the side effects? So obviously, if the FDA is approving something for headaches, okay, that's a pretty low threshold of side effects because we've got a lot of things that will treat headaches. Okay. Mm -hmm. If it's a drug that is a, let's say a cancer drug and it's going to, you know, help me survive cancer and the side effects are my hair is going to fall out and I'm going to feel like crap while I'm taking it. Well, that's probably okay because of what the, the value of curing, you know, me living is. So the FDA is not saying that this drug should be used for everybody or even anybody. It's just saying it's clinically effective and its side effects are either low or compared to what it's doing clinically it, it are okay you know there's a, there's a there's a, a cost benefit from the clinical side to it mm -hmm. the problem is people look at the fda and say well it's fda approved that means everybody should get it that's not what the fda is doing and that's a whole right. different question in my opinion and you had written previously on our website and we'll put the link in the show notes about Aduhel, and that was the one I was thinking yeah. of, that the name escaped yeah. me. And that was one where it costs nearly $30,000 a year from manufacturer Biogen, and CMS said they weren't going to approve it. And part of it was it wasn't very effective at all, even though it, I guess it showed some effectiveness in some people. Um, yeah, you can was, speak a little bit more to that than I can. It was a drug that even in clinical trials, the, the people who were doing clinical trials were like, yeah, this really doesn't do a whole lot. Some people did show some, you know, slowing down of the progression of the disease. Um, and it was extremely expensive. 
And so that's really why CMS and, and largely CMS was sort of almost driven by the, the neurologic community that were the physicians were saying, I'm not going to do this mm-hmm. because it really, for the cost, it really doesn't have a cost benefit to it. And that was probably one of the first drugs that CMS said no to, even after it had FDA approval. And I think it was the right decision. It, it wasn't a good drug to be put out there in mainline because it really had limited effectiveness for what was really a massive cost. Right. Um, former Governor Howard Dean, uh, we we're talking about this post that he had on, on Real Clear Policy. Uh, he seemed to think that there is a, a complete stop at the Medicare uh, level of any sort of Alzheimer's drugs that were based on monoclonal antibodies. And he said that this rates to, goes back to a concern from FDA in June of 2021 over an accelerated, excuse me, an accelerated approval of a different uh, monoclonal antibody used to treat Alzheimer's. And the new drug that he's talking about here is uh, Lakembi, and that one is also a monoclonal antibody, but it, he's complaining about the speed that it went through because of uh, the agency's decision to slow down a lot of those. Um, I just threw out a lot of terms that a lot of people might not be familiar with. So yeah. Ron, if, if you want to speak to any of those and kind of break them down for our listeners, I know that they would be appreciative of that. Yeah. So, and there has been, I think a more heightened um, awareness of this class of drugs because there's Laquimbi's coming out. There's one behind it. There's a lot of research in this area and, and, and there should be Alzheimer's is a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible disease. My, my father, um, had Alzheimer's toward the end of his life and he had that and he had cancer too. And it's, it's, it's heart wrenching to, um, I mean, I can remember having the conversation when he was still pretty coherent and him asking me what, what it was going to look like, you know, where, where, where is it going to go? And I can remember having to tell my own father that there would be a time when he would not recognize me. Um, that's a, that's a horrible thing to do. And it's a horrible thing to watch me go through. So I'm not, this is nothing about that. We shouldn't be looking at this stuff, but the question becomes how much money are we willing to spend? Cause we only have a limited amount of it. And there's a lot of other things we also need to spend it on and for what benefit. Um, and that's really what I think the slowdown was. We have to make sure that these aren't just, you know, a small percentage of people that have benefit, that they're really doing something. And what they're trying to do and what monoclonal antibodies are trying to do is they're trying to slow down the progression of the disease such that the patient will die of old age before they ever have the problem with being, you know, severely impacted. Um, Because if we can do that, we've done something enormously helpful. But we've got to make sure that that's really what we're doing because what we don't want to do is break the bank on something that is really going to have very little impact um, on the progression of the disease. And that's what they're asking for is, is, you know, what really impact is there having for this kind of cost? Former Governor Dean wrote that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services agreed to cover monoclonal antibodies such as this drug, Lakembi, as long as patients enrolled or the doctors of the patients enrolled them in a in a registry um, there was some fear about bureaucratic hurdles with that, but he even says that apparently it seemed to be pretty easily navigable. Is that something that should be done in, in general for any drug uh, from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services? Should they require people to register in order to get access to a particular drug? Well, there's there's um, the, the reasons for the registry are several. Okay, first mm-hmm. of all, 
in order for you to really have benefit, it has to be early onset because what it's trying to do is slow down the progression of the disease. And if the disease is fairly far advanced, it really doesn't help. Um, and so how do you make sure that it's only be given to the right people? One of the ways to do that is through these registries to where the doctor has to input information. And there are several tests that can be done that have to be put into that registry to determine that, yes, this really is early onset Alzheimer's and it's likely to be mm -hmm. impacted. Um, it has a much higher chance of being impacted positively by this drug than somebody who's, who's more advanced. So that's number one. The other thing is a lot of these drugs, and it's similar with some of the drugs that are used for to slow down the progression of MS, very similar kind of a thing. Right. A lot of these drugs have some very, very serious potential side effects that you have to be very careful of. Um, the MS drugs, for example, you can develop PML. Um, PML is fatal. And so one of the things these registries do is say, okay, we're going to do the following check. And in the case of the MS drugs for PML, it's you get an MRI every six months for some of these drugs so that if we see PML starting to develop, we take you off that drug so that, you know, you don't, you don't develop it and then, and then die from, right. from the administration of the drug. So it isn't just about government control or we want to keep track of who's on there or limit the number of people on there. Really, these registries are designed around making sure it's the right patient and that the doctors are giving the right test and looking for these potentially fatal side effects. Um, that's the reason for the registries. Let's let's zoom out and talk big picture here and, and, and talk generally about different drugs. Because there's this general question, and you hear it a lot from, you, know, you say you hear it a lot from conservatives, but you hear it from all sides on occasion. Mm -hmm. And is that what role should administrative people at an organization like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have what sort of say should they have over drugs that are covered by Medicare that are approved by the FDA? Well, so that gets into a question. And it gets into of, the insurance question as well, I know, and, oh yeah. and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Yeah, it gets into the question of do we want a system where as long as the drug can clear the clinical hurdle of it may have some benefit and either has low side effects or the side effects are much less than what the benefit is. That it has a it has a you know, a ratio there that works that we should just cover it. Cost be damned, you know, or should things like cost and, and cost compared to the benefit be part of the equation. Now I would argue that the reason, one of the reasons why Medicare is going bankrupt and has a date at which it'll be insolvent is because we've not looked at the cost benefit analysis mm -hmm. enough. Okay. In addition to the fact that, you know, we, we have this weird way that we allow the manufacturer to set the price. So yeah, if you just want to say, Hey, everything should be covered, you know, then fine. But then don't, don't complain when Medicare goes bankrupt in a few years. Right. Um, if you don't want Medicare to go bankrupt, we're going to have to start injecting cost into it. And unfortunately there will be some things that will say, Hey, that's good, but it's, it's not worth that much money. And that's just the reality of it. Mm -hmm. We have that in almost every other part of society. You know, we it's interesting because last week we talked about uh, the weight loss drugs. And uh, now let me ask you this. Are any of the weight loss drugs covered by Medicare right now? Um, I don't believe so yet. Okay. But I'm not sure. So then th this goes into the same sort of category then. Is, is, is it's a decision of the, it's too expensive right now or they don't see the benefit there for covering it by Medicare or Medicaid. Um, 
let's talk about, you know, we talk about the administrative role in, in something like CMS. How is it any different or should it be different from commercial insurance uh, determining what drugs they're going to cover? You know, for example, if a drug's covered by Medicare, why shouldn't it be covered by your commercial insurance? Well, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the you when you add the commercial insurance part of it into it, then you've got, you know, the issue that we just, you know, that we talked about last episode with Wagovi, where it's a cost benefit to say, well, I don't want to solve obesity if it's going to cost me more money to solve it, then I'm going to save. Right. And the profit motivation of the insurance companies creates a weird scenario there. So I don't, I don't like that whole profit motivation on, on what gets covered or not covered. Um, I think the whole system needs to be changed on what gets covered and not covered so that if it's covered by Medicare, it should be covered by everybody. And it shouldn't be, well, Blue Cross covers it, but United doesn't. Mm-hmm. If something is a good thing to do, you know, if if let's say that the price of Wilgovi came down and we said, you know what, this is a good thing to do. You know, we got 15 million people in this country with obesity. Or if we realize that the next drug for Alzheimer's that comes down the pike says, hey, this really does slow it down a great deal. And at that cost, it makes sense for us to do it. Then it should be covered period, end of story. Right. Shouldn't matter who the payer is. Um, but we've got this, you know, weird fragmented system now where some do, some don't, and some have different rules on who covers what. Um, that that has got to change because if you present with this, with some clinical presentation that says this is an effective, cost-effective, and clinically effective treatment for your situation, it shouldn't matter whether the government's paying for it, your employer's paying for it, who your carrier is, or if Medicaid's, it, it shouldn't matter. If it's mm-hmm. the right thing to do, it should be the right thing to do. Uh, the last question I want to bring up, and someone might accuse me on on Twitter of uh, rehashing the 2022 election, uh, but I'm not, I promise, because uh, that election seemed to be about COVID, which it shouldn't have been uh, in some states, including uh, my home state of Michigan. And um, I, But I want to ask this question because it, it talks about what, what role should administrative officials have in government? Because you have the, the idea that should administrative people be making decisions that are contrary to what doctors might be making? And so I guess the question is, is how is it or is it different um, from administrative officials you know, making COVID or other healthcare decisions um, when CMS says they're not going to or, or an insurance company says they're not going to cover a particular drug? Um, flesh out for a little bit, like the scenario you're, you're sort of talking about. I want to Sure. Sure I mean, you had, you had some people, you know, particularly on the right criticizing different government agencies for having too much power during COVID and what, who were some of these administrative officials making all these decisions? Um, you know, people that sit around too long right now, you've got criticism about the FBI making different decisions, but that that's more of what I'm aiming at here. Yeah. So, you know, I think my own opinion on this is, our system is flawed, but it's the best system out there. Yeah. As flawed as it is. Um, because administrative people who let's say go beyond their, you know, their scope and make decisions they should have, shouldn't can be overruled by the courts. So we have that checks right. and balance with yep. the court. Um, if the, the elected officials that put the administrator in place for, let's say a, you know, a position like the head of CMS or the head of, you know, HHS or whatever, um, if they make bad decisions on who they put in those roles, then that elected official doesn't win the next election. Right. Yep. Um, now, it's slow, and there are times when definitely people get caught in the middle. And I know there were doctors who felt like, you know, there were 
people in certain administrative positions making decisions that didn't make intelligent clinical sense. And I'm sure there were, mm-hmm. but it's the best system that I've seen out there. It's just how do we make it even more efficient? Right. Um, and the flip side of that is there were doctors who were making decisions that were not very clinically wise to do. Yep. And some administrative officials overruled them. And so it's one of those things where it's always going to be messy. There's always going to be anecdotal examples of, boy, that shouldn't have happened. And those are real. Um, but overall, the system kind of works. Yep. You know? Well, and to anyone who thinks that they can just eliminate bureaucracy completely, I mean, you have to have some sort of administrative level, some sort of bureaucracy in any organization, healthcare included. I mean, you look at a hospital, for example, you can't just run it with the, only the doctors. You've got to have people that can maintain the bills, people who can do the accounting and all that sort of stuff. So it's 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 required anywhere. Of course, I think there's a legitimate concern is, is it too big in the federal government? Oh, yeah. That's a that could be a conversation for another day. That's a that's a whole couple of day conversation. Uh, yes. right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ron, uh, we're about out of time on this episode of the Flatlining Podcast. So thanks for sitting down with us again. Great. Thank you. You can follow me on X at Radio Handler. You can follow our president and CEO. Uh, he's on X as well at Ron Howerkin. Be sure to subscribe to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulton Strategies so you never miss an episode.